there. Hi. Hi. How are you? I mean, I'm fine. You? Uh, I'm doing all right. It's it's seven in the morning, so I'm I'm working through it. <laughs> <laughs> Sleep deprivation provides the best work. Yes, insomnia definitely uh, aids me in this endeavor. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, for everyone listening in, we have an Incan author on the podcast today. Um, his name is Joseph Ellis. Uh, he is a young author at the age of 16 years old who resides in Liverpool, England, and he has been honing his skills as a young writer for the past two years. Um, this morning, I'll be interviewing him, and uh, I'll be asking him about his books and his writing journey in general. So, without further ado, welcome, Joseph, to the channel. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, so we'll just hop on in with the very first question. I'm hmm. sure you all know, as well as you do for sure, that I have actually reviewed your story, A Night of Nowhere. Um, so can you just tell me a little bit about what inspired you to write that story? Um, one of the main things that inspired me to write was like the fallout of Game of Thrones. Okay, actually, that makes so much sense, because when I was reading the beginning of it, it did give me a little bit, not like any like plagiarism or cliche way, but just a little like taste of Game of Thrones because I've read the series myself, so that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, and I know one of the comments you also brought up was Skyrim in the <laughs> review, and that not as much like story plot wise, but definitely like visually, it was something I used to get a lot more description across because there's so much of it that I can actually use. <laughs> Absolutely. It was like um, with the fallout of all of that, with like medieval fantasy on the rise still, I thought mm-hmm. I wanted to give a go at it. Yeah, absolutely. I think you did a great a great job with it, by the way. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I <laughs> remember the story pretty well. <laughs> um, so when you first started your journey as a writer, what about writing appealed the most to you? Definitely like the creative control aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Because... I tend to daydream a fair bit. Yeah. It's like I'm always getting lost in my own thoughts. So writing's a way to make sure other people also get lost in them. I'm not alone in that fact. Absolutely. <laughs> like at a time where I like, was quite stressed with like exams at the time I started writing, thought I need a creative outlet, something that I can actually say is mine. So right. then that just led me naturally to writing. That makes sense. I mean, I think we're all a bit guilty of daydreaming a little bit too much. <laughs> Absolutely. Like when I was in high school, I mean, I'm not that much older than you, but when I was 16 and 17 years old, like I was constantly always daydreaming and like lost in my own thoughts. <laughs> like I would pause the story in my head until I was able to actually refocus it. I <laughs> think you need to have some quality of daydreaming to be a writer. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so do you do research for your stories? And if you do, what is that process like for you? And um, like the research itself will vary from story to story. Mm-hmm. Because it's like a night of nowhere, I do a lot more of it in advance because I need to know a lot more about medieval aspects. Because like I'm a stickler for medieval realism, especially with weaponry. Right, right. So I do a lot of research into that. So like shows like Forged in Fire are surprisingly really good sources of information for weapons i love that show i'm sorry i kind of like geeked out a little bit because i actually have a really big obsession with that show (laughs) sorry continue i have the same obsession with it sometimes (laughs) 
then there's, for instance, people like Shad Brooks, who is a published author, and he also has a YouTube channel where a lot more medieval weaponry goes into like medieval realism, so like what would be viable, what wouldn't be, how it actually works within combat scenarios. So it's stuff like a Knight of Nowhere that tends to compile a lot more notes of it beforehand, so that like, I know how everything would and should play out. Right. And with other stories, a lot, some of the research is more when I need it, I will look it up because there's some things that I just can't predict that I will need. Absolutely. Um, you actually made me think, I don't know if it's the same person because I don't remember the YouTuber, but there was this person that I was reading about for one of my stories uh, regarding combat with horses. And he was kind of like showing like how he thinks uh, they probably trained their war horses to get used to having like spears and swords in their peripherals and just around them in general. Um, I think I know who did that. <laughs> yeah, you made me think of that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's Scholar Gladiatoria. I think, yeah, I think that sounds familiar. I think you're right. Um, so, in writing, what was one of the most surprising things you learned while creating your stories about yourself or just about your writing style in general? One of the main things I learned was adjusting my writing process in the beginning. Because I used to have the mindset of, I need to get this right on the first time. Yeah. And I was trying to balance every single aspect of a scene just in my head. Right. And that was and that started to detract from me writing because I got so little done because I'm trying to focus on so much. So I thought I only have one attempt at this, so I had to learn to like let myself redraft and go through and edit a lot more. Yes. <laughs> Editing is the most tedious <laughs> and you know, grueling things, but it is definitely but necessary. <laughs> necessary. <laughs> um so what do you personally think, either by your own books or others you have read, that makes a really good story? Definitely solid character building from the beginning. Because a book can have like the best plot, the best magic system, the best anything, but all of that really falls flat if the characters fall flat. Because right. they really carry the story and what gets the reader invested. Because people can say, oh yeah, the plot of, like, this book's good, but what makes that better is the actual characters within it. Right, right, absolutely. And that connection with the characters as well is what really can make a good story as well. Definitely, because the characters are the driving focus of the plot in many books, so... Absolutely. Um, this kind of goes with the third question I already asked, but uh, what is your writing process like? Like, do you have to have, like, a certain, like, <clears throat> mantra you do before you get in the headspace? You know, does the atmosphere have to be a certain way? Um, most of what I typically do to get started with writing is just, I open the document, I stare at it for about two hours not knowing what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Until I finally just convince myself, this will not write itself. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's just... And then once I get like the first few words down, it snowballs. So then I get lost in writing. So it's just, it's hard for me to switch on and switch off to it. But when I am, I can write nigh on endlessly. As long as I've got a long enough Spotify playlist, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think it's like, we've all been there. We've all had that moment where we've just stared at the screen like, all right, you know, any time now would be great. <laughs> um, Absolutely. But like I, I think that like when you talk about the moment when your your switch kind of just flips on out of nowhere and you're writing without even really knowing what you're writing before it's already written, uh, that's like 
for me, like as a writer myself, that's one of the most, that's my best work that comes out is when I kind of shut that, you know, I guess the pressure off of writing something and then just let everything kind of flow naturally and then go back and look at it mm. and see what I wrote. Yeah, and definitely then when you check it and the word counts like 2,000 and you thought you'd only got 500 words down. Yeah, like, <laughs> just like, did I actually just do that? Like, did I fall asleep halfway through this? <laughs> I know, right? It's definitely a great feeling too, though. Like, honestly, like sometimes I wish that I could just automatically flip that switch and be like, yeah, I don't care anymore, let's just do this. But it doesn't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, taking a peek at your Inkit profile, I, I noticed that you have a total of four stories. So. Out of those four, which one would you say is your favorite? And do you have a favorite character? If you do, what is your favorite? Oh, don't ask me to choose my favorite character. It's like choosing a favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> no matter how much you try to say that they don't have one, we all do, so. <laughs> I always look at it as we always have a least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes to favorite stories, right now I would have to give it to A Night of Nowhere. Because it has a little bit of everything in it because it's a multi-POV story that focuses on like more protagonists than most would have. Right. So you get to have a lot of walks of life sort of come in through that story and how they all interact is something that I really like writing about, especially in a more political landscape, which is what it becomes roughly halfway through. Absolutely. But when it comes to a favorite character, this is probably the most cliche answer I will give, but whatever <laughs> one I'm writing now. <laughs> because it's hard to actually pick a favourite. I'll always end up saying whatever character I've just finished writing, they're my favourite. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, honestly, sometimes it's hard too because, I mean, there are some characters that you favour simply because they've gone through a lot of crap and, you know, you just genuinely feel bad that you did that to them. And there's others that you favour because they relate to you, you know, in some way or the yeah. other. You poured more of yourself into that character, you know, and... And then we yeah. hurt them for character development. Exactly. Honestly, like, there is, like, one story I have in the works that, like, I put that character through, like, so much shit. I'm like, you know. <laughs> oh, like, can't help but feeling bad. Like, it's gonna make you a good person, I promise. You're just gonna hang in there. <laughs> just gently stroking the back of your character. Said, she's like, it's gonna be alright, I promise. I'm, I'm, right, this has a reason. Shush, shush, it's okay. <laughs> Go to bed. Maybe it's almost better. Probably just the better. hand of an evil god. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I always um, thought of... There was this friend I have, and he tells me that, you know... The characters that go through the most shit are the ones you have the most love for. And ever since, like, someone, he told me that, like, that's all I think about whenever I do have characters I put through a lot of, like, BS. I'm just like, oh, well, I'm doing this out of love, so, I mean. That's what I think, but that led to a moment where one of my friends, Kieran, will probably be listening to this when it's out. He turned around to me and just said, can your characters ever be happy? To which my immediate <laughs> response is, no. No, they can't. They need to grow. Happiness will not grow with them. I honestly, like, every single time I... Because, like, I had this one story. I have three stories going right now, but I had one. Then I was like, oh, it's going to be a nice story. You know, I'm going to do a romance thing, and I don't really do that really often, but it's going to be a good story. It's not a good story. It's actually really... <laughs> and my friend, he's like, I thought this was supposed to be happy. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I just can't leave things hmm. nice, I guess. Like, I just... <laughs> <laughs> there has to be uh, something wrong. There has to be some level of sadness for this to work. <laughs> like, I need these 
people to cry when they read this like that's and it sounds so bad when you say it like that but when I'm like you know my goal is to make my readers cry like I don't mean I want you guys to like be in pain but I want you to connect in a way that you do shed those tears because yeah. I've had novels that have made me bawl my eyes out as if I was mm-hmm. the person experiencing that tragedy myself you know um, yeah because I think like the main point of books is if a reader gets that emotional over it, be it joy, sadness, whatever, that means you've got them invested. Like I'm fine if a reader would eventually throw one of my books across the room as long as they're compelled to pick it back up again afterwards and continue it. Absolutely. That means I've successfully done my job. I remember I was like 15 at the time, I believe, and I was reading this book and I was so upset and my mom had come into my room at that moment and she was like what is wrong with you and i was trying to explain what was wrong but i was crying and it wasn't working out <laughs> and she was like okay i'm gonna go now <laughs> she just left me <laughs> leave book sadness to itself it sorts itself out eventually it's like exactly. post-series depression like when you first finish a trilogy and you're just sitting there, it's like what do i do with my life it's kind of pointless now <laughs> no, no. <laughs> emptiness like what now um moving on because we got a little sidetracked there um is there anything you find particularly challenging in your writing like what's your biggest challenge you think um i've got two at the minute that i'm really trying to focus on i mean Mm -hmm. the fact that i overwrite a lot overwrite i mean Better to overwrite than underwrite, though. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've always It's much easier to edit something down than have to think of something on the spot. They're just like, oh, yeah, I need to bridge this to this. It's much easier to just get rid of surplus. Yeah. And then my other main issue is characterization. Because sometimes it feels like when I focus too much on like specific plot details, I start to lose character. So it's trying to find some more of that balance between them. Right. So that the characters actually drive the plot rather than just being people it happens to, if that makes any sense. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, I think that a lot of people, I think, like, it, myself included, like, I've definitely struggled with that myself. Because, you know, I have two novels that are both fantasy-based. And it's hard because when you're writing fantasy, especially, you're building a world for your reader as well. Different from the one that we live in. And you're wanting to try to fill in all that information of the world, but also keeping the characters in mind. And it's really mm. easy to kind of like let that detail about the, the surrounding world setting kind of take over. <laughs> because the exposition then becomes somewhat self-indulgent. Exactly, exactly. It's definitely something I'm going to struggle with with an upcoming project. <laughs> Are you writing a new story? Um, I've got one that I'm working on now called Shadow Sight. Mm-hmm. But then I've got one for the future that it doesn't actually have a title name yet, but I've been working on a magic system recently because I'm a lover of magic systems. And I've been working on the world building for it, but because of how extensive the pair of them are, trying to weave them into the story, though, if feeling exposition dumpy is going to be a real challenge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, hope, I, I hope you have luck in it because that sounds... Sounds very intense. <laughs> um, do you remember the first story you ever wrote? If it's not an ingot, or if it is an ingot? Um, the first story I ever wrote, I can't really remember. But there is one that really sticks out to me from school, because it was for English work. Mm-hmm. And it was... 
an odd story that for some reason and I don't know where spawned from but that's a completely different story <laughs> and it's like four kingdoms at war or something which I thought we were getting like a couple of weeks to do this to which the teacher then turns around and says oh no you've only got this lesson to which in my head I'm like what happened to this development <laughs> it's like I have the issue where I can't write short fiction I will plan a short story and channel of like a trilogy <laughs> That's so funny that you say that. I, I actually remember when I was in my senior year of high school, I had written, we had to do this like pamphlet, like brochure thing, um, but we had to incorporate medieval aspects because like, we were learning about old English mm. and we had to make this pamphlet and like we had to like do the setting and the plot and like the character and like just, it was weird, but I was really proud of it. I put a lot of work into it and my, I asked my teacher, I'm like, you know, when you're done with it, can I get it back? And she was like, yeah. I never got it back. <laughs> <laughs> never saw that again. <laughs> I was so upset. <laughs> it's the most upsetting thing about anything good you do for school. Because they just take that, they keep it in their little box, never to be seen again. <laughs> I know. She was like, I'm like, I remember I went to go visit like a year after I graduated. And I was like, hey, remember that time that you took my, my brochure? And she like whoops it out of her desk. She's like, yeah, I still have it. She's like, I use it as a reference now. And I was like, oh, thanks, because that's not what I wanted to do or anything. <laughs> <laughs> At least I think of both, oh, come on. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so out of all the protagonists you've written about so far, which one do you feel you relate to the most? Um, probably one of the protagonists from A Night of Nowhere, Rigel. Mm -hmm. Because in the beginning and throughout, he's very impulsive. And he has a strong sense of what's right and wrong. Like, there's a little grey area in the beginning, which is how I was when I was a little bit younger. Yeah. I still have a strong sense of right and wrong, but I'm starting to see more, like, moral grey. <laughs> right, right. Definitely. So especially with that impulsion, it's something that I was able to draw from personal experience when writing. Yeah, it's definitely... It's, I, think it's, I think your characters definitely have more depth when you put yourself into it and honestly Regal when I read the first chapter he was probably my favorite <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah um I think that's great I mean on a, unfortunately like there is those gray areas and it takes a while to actually see them but I, I love that you put that in the story for future chapters and how he kind of slowly develops that with the character development that I'm so famous for talking about <laughs> <laughs> um did something in your life help you define your writing style or was it something that you had to like really kind of hone? It was something I did have to work at, but when it came to like overall love of writing, there was one English teacher I had for four years. No, it was three and a bit years. Mm -hmm. uh, she was the same one which I wrote that story for that I mentioned earlier. And she kindled that love of like writing within me because I found out that it was something I really enjoyed doing. I liked telling stories. And then yeah. through that, it helped me work on craft because when there's a teacher there, it's different from writing on young. Because then you've got that one-to-one -one feedback of this is good, this needs work. Which is possibly why I'm like more akin to taking criticism now. Absolutely. Because criticism, like it or not, is always constructive, even if it's someone's subjective criticism, because it opens angles you might not have even thought of. Absolutely. I, I definitely am a very big advocate for people being open to criticism, so I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah. <laughs> it's why I appreciated that segment you did on the podcast a few weeks ago, because it's true. 
like like it or not, you need to grow a thick skin in the industry so that you can actually take criticism on board and improve from it. Because no one gives you criticism to see you fail. They give you it so that you do better next time. Absolutely. Are you talking about the Let's Be Honest segment? I think so. I can't really remember, like, from episode titles. <laughs> I can't remember what I did yesterday, so... <laughs> <laughs> but we can all remember what we put our characters through on a daily basis. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, like, I can just name it out of the hat. Like, this person went through some really big shit. Like, <laughs> Do you ever just, like, okay, like, getting sidetracked again, do you ever just, like, write out this really horrible thing that happens to your character, but you're, like... Militia, you're like, yes, like, <laughs> no, I always like, feel yeah. horrible. I feel much worse for my actual characters because I'm just like, oh, I'm so sorry, I've got to put the, put you through this. Like, there's been times I've had to take a break from writing a scene just to deal with it myself. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have to process their trauma. I was because well, like, I have this story that's almost done. And the ending of it is, like, really, like, <laughs> it sucks for the main character. It really does. But what I thought of it, and I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be the end. Like, I was so happy about it. I was like, it's going to be awful. <laughs> <laughs> my friend, she was like, why do you want it to be awful? I'm like, because I want my readers to know. Like, I want them to hate it, but not hate it because it was a bad ending, but hate it be like because it was bad. Like, hold on. Let me gather my thoughts a little bit. Not hate it because it's <laughs> badly written, but hate it because it's not the ending that they wanted. Yes, yeah, so like you get you the know, subversion of expectations a little bit with a more bittersweet ending in most cases. Absolutely. And like that, when I thought of it, I was just like, this is so diabolically evil. <laughs> <laughs> I have like one scene that's kind of like that for a night in nowhere. Because that starts as like 10 chapters. It's now like projected to be four books. Oh, that wow. happened with writing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, there's one specific event that I've had planned from the beginning that I just can't wait to get to. And I've just been teasing people with it, just like, you're gonna hate me. <laughs> you ever just like pre-write out a chapter and then just like save it for the moment that it's needed? Yeah, that, that chapter that I was on about then, that's at the end of book two, and I've had that written out since last year. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I am prepared. <laughs> you're just like, we're gonna copy and paste that right into that document. <laughs> And then I'd redraft it because, like, the first draft is the bones of the work, and then the redrafting is like the meat of it. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, what to you is the most important thing about writing a story? I think that's something I hit on earlier over characters and how they actually drive the plot. Yeah, I think I might have repeated a question on accident. <laughs> but then, another thing that I do find really important is let's argue it is a fantasy. How do you make that world feel different to, like, the real world? Well, Be it through, actually, like, like magic, how they speak, like, how certain people, like, in some stories, like, you get aspects of racism, but it's obviously done through the guys of, for instance, like, elves, dwarves, etc., like, basic Tolkien characters. Yeah. And you get, like, those aspects playing out through there, which are always really nice to see, because it actually handles, like, so, some sensitive topics in a fantasy setting that can also serve to enrich the world with it because like it or not that is a thing that happens in the world but like racism prejudice like be it for reasons or for no reasons right, right. then getting those characters it fleshes them out a lot more it might make you hate them but it makes them more honest because fantasy is just a representation of the real world through just a glass of mysticism exactly 
it's actually a really good point. Um, I had a thought and then it just kind of escaped me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess we'll just jump right into the last question, which is what advice would you give to new authors or authors who are just struggling in general? Definitely seek out as much criticism as you can from anywhere. Like, not even from just people who write or read the genres that you like. For instance, I could go to someone who writes crime, for instance, and their feedback due to their genre sensibilities would be a, it'd be a different way of looking at my own story. And I'd be able to say, oh yeah, like, while obviously it's not the same genre, I can draw this and this and put it in here and enrich it a bit further. Like, it's the same with most, like, I could say to a romance writer, like, what do you think of this particular scene? Because obviously they handle intimacy a bit better than most other genres. Right. And then it's just drawing different aspects from everywhere, making sure you draw as much knowledge as possible to be able to make your story as best as it can be. Absolutely. And I think that it's really important to, for not just us as writers, but readers as well, to not limit ourselves to just one genre. I'm um, guilty of that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I definitely have my genres where I definitely prefer them over anything else. And, like, one question I get a lot with my podcast is people, like, assuming that because their genre might not be something I'd like, that I won't review it. And um, that's absolutely incorrect. Like, I, I definitely tried to give, you know, I mean, I'm sure you know as much as everyone else that I really don't care for alpha stories. Um, mm, I've seen but, them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely still don't shy away from them, though. And... You know, there have been at least one story that has pleasantly surprised me. So I definitely think to add on to what you said, you know, just whether you're reading or writing or reviewing, you know, don't limit yourself to just the genres that you like because you're going to have, especially if it's a genre you really like and you're reviewing a book like that, you're already going to have kind of a set in opinion about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have an expectation already. Um, so yeah, that's all I really had to say about that. <laughs> they'll start to generate a bit more of a bias because especially if you vary your reading material a lot more you do tend to as i said earlier because i feel like i'm repeating myself just drawing more inspiration from how certain things are structured and like character development in certain other stories absolutely um but unless you have more you'd like to share like you can definitely like promote your stories if you'd like um but that that was all my questions for you I'm unsure if there is really much else to share, <laughs> unless you have something like you want to ask on the spot now. Uh, no, I'm kind of drawing a blank. Me and my coffee. <laughs> coffee is but, essential. Uh, yes, it really is. Um, but it was great having you on here. I really enjoyed having you on the podcast today. I think you were very informative and uh, just a really great guest overall. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Have a great day. You too.